moves on. Uh, and God continually has a different purpose for us. And if we're in the will of God, then every move we make is a blessing. You know, we've had two transfers to Melbourne and have still finished back in Sydney, two trips south, two trips north since we were married. And um, every one of those, we've committed it to the Lord and it's been his perfect timing. You know, I, I, before we were married, I got shot overseas for eight months and I was working in Germany and uh, we didn't see each other and I came back and I was immediately transferred to Melbourne. I think in the ten months before we married, we saw each other for two weeks. It was some difficult times. But again, every step you take in life, if you're committed to the Lord, he leads, guides, directs and blesses. And um, so I love that hymn. It reminds us of some of the blessed times that we've had in a house that is now a young couple's who decided they didn't want a project home. Uh, they wanted a house that was unique, and ours is. It's an English Tudor-style house, and I got some connection to it. My father was a bricklayer, and he laid every brick on the house when he was 70 years of age. And uh, I can remember him sitting on the chimney end, and we're about three floors high on the chimney end. It's a surrounding block. And Dad's straddling, straddling the ridge pole at 70, uh, laying the final bricks on the chimney up there uh, for our fire. So it's got a lot of memories, but life moves on, and we have to accept that. Well, there are many signs in the world today that we are living in the final church age. And one of those is the sign of materialism. Uh, the divide between rich and poor is widening. Discontent is common when what we have falls short of what we think we should have. Many of you will have grown up in our era where at Glen Waverley in our first home, our dining table was a fold-up card table and two stools about this high um, with no backs on them and that was the dining table and was probably that for about three or four years. But today, many young people grow up and they want everything that we have today, but they want it now. Uh, we live in this now age where everybody has an expectation of, uh, and nobody wants to wait for anything. But the scriptures tell us that the final world, uh, as the, fi the, the financial world, will get more chaotic as we approach the end of the age. Paul wrote these words to Timothy and he said this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he said to Timothy, look, at the end of the age, the thing that will char characterise many people is that they will be self-centred. 
It all starts with the heart though, doesn't it? God told us that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. But Paul said as the age draws to a close, people will love themselves rather than God or others. And that's true. You see it all around you. But he also said that people would be covetous. And the word in the Greek here for covetous means money lovers. And uh, so as this age draws to a close, people will not only be selfish, but lovers of money as well. And we certainly hear of many today who steal and defraud in order to accumulate wealth, in order that they have what others have and even more. Let me tell you the story of Sam Polk. Sam Polk was a Wall Street uh, stock trader. And his boss called him in one day and announced that his bonus for the year, and this is a true story, was going to be $3.6 million. But Sam wasn't happy because he thought that it should have been $8 million. This is what he later wrote, though, concerning this. He said, I was angry because it wasn't big enough. I was 30 years old, had no children to raise, no debts to pay, no goals in mind. I wanted more money for exactly the same reason as alcoholics need another drink. I was addicted. The good story about this is that Sam looked in a mirror one day and saw what he'd become. He left Wall Street, he married, started a family and started a better life for himself. But I'm afraid that Sam's attitude to money reflects how many think and act today. It's all about money. People are putting their hope in money as a means of buying protection, purpose, power and pleasure. But is it, it is an investment in the temporary and not in the eternal future. Okay, we've lost the slides. You want me to restart it? Technology. We only needed a Bible at one stage to preach and a few notes scribbled on a piece of paper. We're back on, are we? Good. Okay. But, you know, money is just an investment in uh, the temporary, not in the eternal future. But, you know, the scriptures speak of a day when money will hardly be worth the paper it was printed on. Uh, many of us are old enough uh, to remember those banknotes we saw after the Second World War in Germany where to buy something you need notes that were in the millions of Deutschmarks uh, because worth, money had become almost worthless 
and it's inflation. Uh, the company I work for, we had an operation down in Brazil and if somebody paid us in the morning, we had to convert that money into some gold or silver before lunchtime, otherwise in the afternoon it was worth about half of what you'd got in the morning. Inflation was just absolutely run around. It was a major logistical problem uh, to run a business down in Brazil a number of years back. So, you know, it's all going to, though, going to be a day where money will hardly be worth that paper it's printed on. It all begins in the middle of the tribulation. And this is what we read. There was given unto him, that is, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and then that dwell in heaven. Middle of the tribulation, Antichrist will show his true colours. He will actively voice his opposition to God, assume control of the Jewish temple that's been built in Jerusalem, make it his headquarters. But we're also told this, power was given him over all kindred tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. We are told that God will give him that power even though his power in a sense comes from Satan, God will allow that power to be given to Antichrist. Will the Antichrist use world events to exercise his power over people and force them to worship him as God? Is the introduction of a world financial control one of the ways it will make it possible? Well, there are many signs in the financial world today that this could become a reality even in our day. The world is fast moving towards a cashless society where the use of money will be easy to control. If I remember rightly, it's Sweden, I think, that have almost abolished uh, coinage and notes. Uh, they are fast move. Uh, one country moving towards a very rapidly towards a cashless society. Many groups are proposing that a world currency is the answer to the world's financial problems. Um, there are many reasons, of course, why, and we may deal with some of those later. Look at the quality, though, of money in the world today. 1% of the world's population owns 44% of the world's wealth. It's interesting, isn't it? 1% of the world's population have 44%. Therefore, 99% of the world's population only owns 56% of, of, of global wealth. These numbers show the inequality of money spread around the world because financial inequality exists in our world 
economic wealth does not benefit everybody. And that's very true, we know that. But it does lead to people becoming more materialistic as they want to share in the wealth of the world. But there is a day coming when that money will be almost useless as access to it will be almost impossible when this edict is issued during the tribulation. Tells us that he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. At the midpoint of the tribulation, when the Antichrist assumes world domination, he will at the same time initiate control over all mankind by the control of what a person may buy and sell. Again, some of you are old enough uh, to remember the difficulties in getting food after the war. You know, I was born in England in the very middle of the Second World War and I can remember queuing up with my mother, with uh, my brother in a pram, two years younger than me, my nine-year-old sister on the right side, uh, queuing up to try and get food because food was scarce in England after the Second World War. We used to eat some strange foods which some of you might think are strange. Stuffed bullock hearts was quite good on the diet. Uh, crumbed lamb brains. Um, these were all part of what we grew up with as young children because it was the only form of protein you could sometimes get in the shop. I don't think I'd eat it today. Um, but, you know, I didn't think anything about it in my young years. I remember my father sitting uh, with a bottle, a jar, and he'd have saved the cream off the top of the milk when you had those days when cream did float on the top of milk before they removed it and sold it for something else. And Dad would add salt to it and he'd sit there shaking it and shaking it until he could make butter so that we had some butter to put on the bread. Um, but, you know, these were all things that in our past we grew up with. But, you know, there's a day coming when those controls will be back in power again during the tribulation. Events that have taken place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation will have severe repercussions for the world. There are many signs, though, in the financial world today that this could become a reality even in our own day of a cashless society. Many groups, though, in the world today are proposing that a world currency is the answer to the world's financial problems. Let me go through a few events of what will happen in that first three and a half years of the tribulation that will show you how the world will be. It won't be a world that will continue with the church taken out of the way the church, will, the world will not continue as we know it today because we learn 
several things. One of the things we learn about the tribulation that the first seal that the Lord Jesus Christ opens introduces us to four things that will characterise the next seven years of the tribulation. The first seal, (coughs) if you remember, reveals a man riding on a white horse and he will have in his hand a bow, no weapon in the bow, and it is a picture of the Antichrist who will come and appear on the scene as a man who is going to answer the problems of the world and seek to bring peace to a very confused world. But then there's going to be a rider revealed on a red horse and the rider tells us that peace will not be delivered as promised but conflict will rage during the tribulation. We covered one of those conflicts even this morning. The black horse and its rider tells us that famine will make money almost useless in the tribulation. How do we know it's about famine? Well, this is what we read. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. A measure of wheat, how much is a measure of wheat? Well, a measure of wheat would only produce enough flour to make about two small loaves of bread. In John's day, a penny would have been a day's wages. So what the scripture tells us is that a day's wages will only produce enough enough wheat or be able to buy enough wheat to make two small loaves of bread. You get more for barley uh, for the same cost, but, you know, somehow the world today thinks eating bread with barley in it is healthy for you. My kids used to call it gravel bread. I'm inclined to agree with them. Uh, It may be healthy, but it's awful bread to eat. It doesn't rise and uh, it's terrible. But not only that, you need to be careful about preserving what little olive oil and wine you have because it will be so scarce. The Lord Jesus Christ told us this back before his death when he spoke to the disciples He said this, and he's talking about the first parts of the tribulation. He says, for nations you'll rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginnings of sorrow. There will be famine in the first half of the tribulation. The world will be looking to their new leader, the Antichrist, but he'll not be able to overcome the judgments uh, that God will send on the earth. You know, when the angel sounds his trumpets in the trumpet judgments, 
he will, to introduce this second series of judgments, um, devastation will be the result uh, as a number of events take place on the earth that will cause massive shortages of food. These are the opening uh, trumpets that will sound. There are seven of them. The first angel will sound his um, trumpet and a third part of the trees of the world were burnt up. Uh, we're not sure how they, how that fire, but it will descend from God, and uh, they will indeed uh, cause. Before that, there'll be hail and fire mingled with blood, and the result of that fire will destroy the third of trees in the world. Um, just listen and think about it. We often think that it will be great forests that will be destroyed, but remember many of our trees produce what? Food. Orchards. And you just think of in the world today, a third of those trees were gone. It would cause devastation. We know that it's happened before because in Exodus we read there was hail and fire mingled with hail as one of the judgments to release the nation from captivity. But at the same time it tells us that all green grass was burned up. You think of a world with no grass that is not bright brown and charred. Yeah, we drove down on Friday and uh, I must say that the Victorian countryside is lovely and green. It looks fantastic. Cattle out there, sheep out there feeding. But you imagine if all that grass is gone, what do the cattle feed on? What do the sheep feed on? Uh, recent droughts and bushfires in our country uh, show us what happens uh, when we have that destroyed. Destroys much of the world's food source. And then we read this, that the third part of the sea becomes blood. And this time the, the oceans of the world, a third of them are turned to blood and it's caused by a mountain of something falling in the waters. And as a result of that, we read this, the third part of creatures which were in the sea and had life died. There are many countries in our world today that rely on seafood for their diets. Asia, many parts of Asia, um, they like to eat beef but they can't grow it up there, some of it. And so seafood is a major part of their diet. So not only is the earth under judgment, the sea is under judgment as well. But there's another judgment too because at the same time it says a third part of the shipping was destroyed. It's estimated today that about 60% of goods produced in the world are shipped to other countries by ship. Interesting, isn't it? In 2020, 
the number of merchant ships sailing the world was 56,000. Do some quick maths. 316s are 48, so that leaves another six over, <coughs> another eight over. Uh, so you divide it, it's about 19,000 ships will be destroyed in that judgment. Look at what those ships carry. This is the most up to date figures I had about 2010. Oil tankers carrying about 418. 1,000 tonnes, bulk carriers, general cargo ships, container ships, other shipping. If that judgment were to fall today, almost 1.2 million tonnes of goods carried around the world by shipping would be gone. Just think about that. Think about it from Australia's point of view. Where does our fuel come from today? Do we produce our own petrol today? No, we don't. We've closed all our things. Where does our petrol come from? It comes down from Singapore. If that shipping was stopped, this country would be stopped within a month. America have been very concerned about this. In fact, um, they were reducing their oil stocks, but now they're building them up again uh, because they're nervous of world situations and what might happen if shipping somehow didn't get the oil to them. This country would be dead (laughs) within a very short period of time because we rely on it. We import many other things, but we export things. Imagine if we couldn't ship coal to China and that part of the world. Many of their industries would stop. You see, those judgments have a tremendous ramification to the world that will be then at that time. No wonder the third horse tells us that the first half of the tribulation will be characterised by famine. Trees destroyed, no green grass, shortage of seafood and now no goods but still more is to follow because it tells us that upon the third part of rivers and upon the fountains of waters judgment will fall and they'll become too bitter to eat, drink rather. You know, you think bottled water is expensive today when there's no drinking water in parts of the world It's all you will have. It's water that will now be affected. And many, it says, died the waters because they were made bitter. Not only now is it the rivers, but fountains are made bitter. Uh, Spring waters will be affected and only bottled or treated water will be available. Do you really want to live in a world where God is judging if there's any incentive to take Christ as your saviour and be taken up at the rapture of the church, those judgments alone should tell you that this world is not going to be a pleasant world to live in. But still more is to follow. It tells us the fourth angel sounded and the day shall not for a third part of it 
and the night likewise. You know, we all experience darkness, but you imagine in four hours of the day or six hours of the... Um, um, let me get my maths right. <laughs> 24, so it's um, four hours of the day. If four hours of the day was total blackness, what repercussions does it have? Nothing grows. You see, crops to grow in the parts of the world that are left, they require photosynthesis to survive. Four hours of the night also are black. They talk about global warming, but I can tell you what it will be. is global freezing. Why? The sun warms the earth by day. You know, we, we live in an age where I get sick of the word global warming. I think if I hear it one more time, I'll scream. But there'll be no global warming, I can tell you. The earth will become a much colder place. You know, many have convinced themselves that they can control the weather but they've forgotten that God sends the rain and controls much of what happens in our world today. I know we get variations. Do you know why, what the major variation of our weather conditions are caused by? What? Sin. Well, that's true. But in a natural sense. The earth sits on an axis. Is that axis straight up and down? No, slight tilt. And the axis of the earth varies between about three and five degrees. You can tilt further one way, further the other. It works on a flexible axis. And when you get super cold conditions, it could be that the axis of the world is tilted further. If you tilt it back the other way, slightly, oh, then you get warmer conditions. So not all our weather is caused by global warming. And there's a second thing. Remember there was a scientist who read the Psalms and read about the paths of the sea. And he was a Christian and he began to examine... Uh, uh, the ocean currents and um, if you know how our ocean currents work I'm digressing now but we got time the ocean currents are like a downhill flow when you have warm currents near the equator they flow down and they come down to around South, Af South America. And those warmer currents move their way across to Australia. And depending on how much temperature flows down, depends on whether we have what? A La Nina situation or an El Nino. 
Last season, we had a La Nina experience, which means the oceans are warmer, you get more evaporation, you get much more rain. If you, we're now entering what we classify as a La Nina, and that, uh, that will give us drier conditions because the oceans are cooler, and we're going to be in probably for some drought conditions. So not everything in the world is controlled <laughs> by how much CO2 we put into the skies. Much of it is controlled by God's control of the tilt of the earth and ocean currents. Now many years ago, as you probably know as an aside, I was an industrial chemist. And one of the things that we had to do was when the cry was up about the hole in the ozone layer over the South Pole, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars changing our formulations to get rid of uh, chemicals that they considered were creating uh, the hole in the ozone. But, you know, the ozone layer, we don't hear about anymore because... It's been a little debunked. Uh, but the ozone layer increases and decreases. Anybody tell me what ozone is? We use the term. O3. O3, right? How's ozone formed? Hmm. <laughs> Bud? No. It, that's correct. Lightning. You need high energy to convert oxygen to ozone. So the amount of ozone on the South Pole is governed by the amount of thunderstorm activity you have up near the equator. You ever gone out after a storm and smelt the air? That's ozone you're smelling. It's a very distinctive, slightly burnt smell. And how much is produced determines how much comes down and depends how much hole is in the ozone layer. So there are things that happen and it's not necessarily chemicals that cause that variation. It's our weather conditions. But that's an aside. Let me go back to what I've trying to show you is many today worship the world and weather. But you know, in the tribulation, all of that worship will come to nothing <laughs> because everything will change when Christ authorizes the judgment of this world. I don't, I have to be careful here. We shouldn't uh, destroy those natural resources that God has given us. Uh, but they've been a blessing to millions of people around the world today. But how will that play out when all these judgments are falling on the earth in the tribulation? Well, that's what we learned. There'll be shortages. There'll be massive problems of supply. The world will not be a pleasant 
world to live in, but into it, the Antichrist will have a solution. He will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. The question I have is, will the Antichrist use world events to exercise his power over people and force them to worship him as God? Is the introduction of a world financial control possible? Well, there are many in the world today and in the financial world that say this could become a reality even in our day. The world is fast moving towards a cashless society where the use of money will be so easy to control. Many groups are proposing that a world currency is the answer to the world's financial problems. Let me take you to a few of these groups. The International Monetary Fund was established in 1944 following the depression of the 30s. It had 44 founding member countries and the idea was to build a framework for international economic cooperation. Today it covers 190 countries and it has staff drawn from about 150 of those nations. Each member country pays an annual subscription based on its relative position in the world economy uh, countries can then borrow from this pool when they fall into financial difficulties. They meet every year to discuss the financial problems facing the world. And when they met in 2000, their agenda had this title, One World, One Currency, Destination or Delusion. Well, was it the ultimate destination or just a delusion? Well, I believe in the tribulation, as we've seen, it will become a destination. But as they looked at it today, as early as 2000, the world was talking about the need for the adoption of a single world currency. They saw it the need of it to level out world econ- uh, the world's economy. But it became much more important in 2008. In 2008, who remembers the great credit crisis? Remember America? Some of you might be a little young for it. I know what it did to our pension fund and I can testify to it. Uh, All of our money was in shares at that stage and I can tell you it looked pretty sick for a while. But remember, uh, the problem was um, uh, there was cheap credit available in America. Uh, There were lax lending uh, standards. Uh, There was a massive bubble of Houses being built in America and then the bubble burst. Nobody could pay back the loans. And we all went through it. 
the banks here in Australia went through it. Every country around the world were indeed crippled by that bubble when it burst. They were left holding millions and trillions of dollars of worthless investments. Well, it cost many their jobs, their savings and their homes. But in others it caused other groups to make this cry. The G20, and our country is a member of the G20, founded in 1999 following the Asian financial crash. It came a little later. They're represented by 19 individual nations plus the EU who speaks for their 27 countries. Originally it was just the finance ministers that met Uh, and central bank governors to discuss global economics. But it was upgraded to the level of heads of state and government in the wake of that global economic and financial crisis in 27 and 2008. And in 2009 was designated the Premier Forum for International Economic Cooperation. They announced something in 2009 that the G20 leaders had activated the International Monetary Fund's power to create money and to begin global quantitative easing. Uh, They were putting into effect, or they voted to put into effect a one-world currency. Um, that was the state of the financial world and they thought, well, if we can control the funds all around the world with one currency, maybe we can weather it. Well, that decision was made but it hasn't been put into operation but it's there and available for any minute they could put into play a one-world government. The UN have been talking about a one-world currency saying the US dollar could be replaced with a global currency. It would be the biggest overhaul of the world's monetary system since World War II. Remember, though, the US dollar is still the most widely traded currency in the world today. Remember I quoted this morning Herman Rompuy about his vision of a one-world government But he also said at that same speech, the social and climate crisis threatens our very survival, but that the financial problems can be achieved through the G20 members. So again, they're talking about a one global currency and he's with them on that note. It's interesting to note that the... um, Euro is the second most traded currency in the world behind the US dollars. Uh, You can see there that um, it's fast overtaking the US dollar as the most traded currency in the world today. It is gaining, gaining strength day by day. And what you have to remember is that during the tribulation, 
it is the Antichrist who is the leader of a revived Roman Empire, which of course is being formed up in the EU, uh, that will be in control of all the money in the world. It's very interesting. The Vatican, they'd love to see a world, one world currency as well. I wonder if they're going to contribute all their millions they've got stashed in banks all around the world today <laughs> into that fund. Uh, they're one of the richest groups in the world today and uh, we need to be aware of that. The Vatican, in as early as 2011, called for the establishment of a global public authority, a central world bank, to rule over financial situations, institutions that have become outdated, often ineffective in dealing fairly with crisis. Funny thing is that Brazil and most of the South American countries, Philippines, which are all predominantly Catholic, are still some of the poorest countries in the world today. So they certainly don't spread their wealth around. Uh, they keep it all to themselves, which makes their statements to me a mockery. Uh, they're sitting on billions and billions and billions of dollars. And the people that give them all the honour are the poorest in the world, some of the poorest in the world today. But since 2000, world leaders and organisations have been advocating the adoption of a world currency in an attempt to solve some of the disparity of people around the world. Well, there's a day coming when their wish will be realised, but it won't bring equality to the world. And what will be the circumstances that cause that to happen? Well, we've already looked at it. The Antichrist will cause all, both great, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Unless a person takes the mark of the Antichrist, no one will be able to buy or sell so we've seen how the financial world believes a one-world banking system is one answer to safeguard the world from financial collapse. But there are many signs in the financial world that the control of the financial world would become a reality even in our day. The world is fast moving toward a cashless society. Uh, I wonder in Australia how many people have reduced the amount of cash we pay for goods today? How many of you pay for your, the items you buy in cash today? Less? The last two years have probably done that. I've travelled down from Melbourne, uh, from Sydney and normally on a trip like that, you'd carry at least a couple of hundred dollars in your wallet for emergencies. I had $30 in my wallet. I don't need cash. I have that little card <laughs> called a credit card. 
I would say that today I pay for about 98% of my purchases today by credit card. I don't carry cash on me anymore. And if I were to take a guess around the room, I would say probably 90% of you here um, don't carry cash on you anymore. You rely on that card. You know, there are many other reasons, of course, in Australia even, why some authorities would like to see cash vanish from our society. Who's the first department who'd love to see cash go? Bud? Yeah, absolutely, tax department. There is still a massive black market out there in a cashless society. And every time somebody pays for goods uh, by cash, uh, the government don't get the GST and uh, the, the people receiving it don't pay tax on it. The tax department would love to see a cashless society. The police would like to see a cashless society too. Why? Drug. All drug transactions are in cash. <laughs> you know, you see them raid a house and look at the amount of cash they find in the house. It's staggering. It reduces criminal activities. It reduces the transporting of large cash amounts. You know, a lot of these um, uh, armoured guard, serv guard services, a lot of little robberies in stores, if they didn't have cash, um, they wouldn't be primed to be robbed. You know, banks, well... Banks hate counting cash. In fact, they hate counting checks. The Herald of Hope, we have a lot of older subscribers who still send us that piece of paper called a check. And I took about 30 into the bank the other day and the girl said, I'm not going to count them, you've got to put them through that machine. I said, well, if you want to stand and do it, that's fine. But I've tried it before and it takes half of them because they're all different sizes. It throws half of them out. I said, but fine, you know, if you want to do it, you go and do it, but I'm not going to stand there. And finally she took the checks. But this is the way our world is going. Nobody wants to deal with money. So this movement towards a cashless society is frightening. But there are more alarming things happening in the financial world today. In the office of a company in Sweden, the CEO has just wiped the hand of a man with a sterile swab and with a quick jab of a loaded syringe has just inserted a small microchip about the size of a grain of rice into the hand of his latest client. That's the hand and that's the little chip. The process, of course, is very similar to that which is available for pet identification. But this chip allows far more than that of embedded pets. The person receiving it can do all their financial transactions. They can get access to all their medical records, 
their personal records, their tax files, home address, family details of children, employment, are all contained within that little chip. And it can also be used, which is a bit more frightening, for tracking people's movements. The chip could contain every piece of information that could be used to control a person's life. Tracking your health, reporting problems to your doctors. 20 years ago, we'd have said it was impossible. We were all puzzled 20 years ago on trying to work out how that mark of the beast could operate. I'm not sure that this is going to be, I think it'll be a far more sophisticated system because this system is developing absolutely hourly almost. It said it was impossible, but the advances in chip technology of recent years, and for the past six years they've been putting chips into Swedish people. Um, technology in this line has gone dramatically in the past 75 years. You know, we have to be careful what we say is impossible. In 1944, 20th century Fox predicted that people would soon get tired of staring into a plywood box every night. Is that true? Well, they were wrong because most homes have at least two TVs, TVs in them today. And they're no longer wooden boxes. I must say, we put an 85-inch one into our church and my PowerPoints look fantastic on it. Um, but it's as big as our screen used to be. But technology has advanced so much. 20th century Fox were wrong. In the late 1970s, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs predicted that there would be a computer in every home and people laughed at them. Well, they were correct, weren't they? You know, I'm trying to work out how many I've got in my home. <laughs> it's three at the moment, but uh, most of us have two. In 2016, actually Australia became the first country in the world to microchip humans. Did you know that? Interesting. A Sydney woman, she had two implants inserted and is thrilled by the possibility of a life without passwords, pins, well, I'm with her on that, cards or keys, passwords. Who remembers all those passwords you've got on your account you've got on the computer? I've got a little book I have to write mine in because I can't remember them for the life of me. Well, it enables them to get into secure buildings and cars without uh, cards or keys. I borrowed my son's car the other day and I said, where do I put the key? And he said, you don't have to. And I said, what do you mean? He said, just hold the key near the door and it'll all unlock and you just press the button in there. I'm afraid mine's still an old one where you need the key, but I guess the next one won't be. Technology is just advancing every day, every day. The technology that this woman had inserted has the uh, capacity to turn lights on in their house, log into their computers, 
pay for things. Well, how does that fit in with the future prophecies in the scripture? Scriptures tell us that the tribulation will be, uh, uh, sorry, that the tribulation will be judgment that will cause food shortages at a level never experienced in the world before. In a future day, what is bought and sold will be controlled by one man, the Antichrist, which will give him literally the ability to control every part of a person's life. But again, I make the statement, it doesn't worry me. While I can see what's happening in the world and I can see the possibility of that coming to fruition, it doesn't worry me. Because I read this. Paul said this, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had under you. He's just commended the Thessalonian church for their faith in Christ and their witness in the area of Thessalonica. And he says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The tribulation is God's wrath on an unrepentant world and his wrath against Satan and his final kingdom that it since the day that really even before this but from the day he took Christ into the wilderness and tried to tempt him to follow him from that day every plan that he's put into place to frustrate the work of God is only what God allows him to do but when the tribulation comes, that begins to spell the end of Satan's power over the world and over us as well. They turned from their old life and they were serving the Lord. And But more importantly, they were looking for the Lord to take them to be with himself. Why? Because it meant their deliverance from the events of the tribulation that were God's judgment on a world that has rejected his son. Perhaps all of the things we've shared this afternoon may seem ominous to you because all of these, many of these things are in motion. After all, we've been sharing events that will become a terrible reality in a future day. These aren't pretend fairy stories that might happen. They will happen because God's word tells us. Not only that, we can already see the outer waves of that coming storm. World leaders and organisations are discussing the need and the technology already exists that may make it possible for the economic control of the world to be in the hands of one man. Frightening though it is, the scripture tells me it will happen one day. And we're seeing signs of that possibility even today. To me it's just another sign 
that the Lord's return is ever drawing nearer. And we need to be looking up for our deliverance is also ever drawing nearer as well. We, though, live in a world where sometimes I think I won't see the rapture, I'll see it from, I'll be the first to rise because I'll be in the grave if they get a little head start, a six foot start on the rest. Uh, But some of you are young enough here that it could be a real possibility, even in my age group. Um, Things are moving so quickly in the world today. It makes us so much urgent that we're preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of salvation. Even more important for us as Christians that we're living the lives that we've been called to live. You know, how do we live for Christ in a world that is increasingly anti-godly? We need our testimony to be brighter than ever before that people might see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Our lives sometimes will be the only testimony that others will see because how we live will be a testimony of his saving grace and his love in our lives. Well, our challenge is if you're not trusting the Saviour, those are some reasons why we ought to be, even today. These things are happening in our uh, generation. You know, I read some of the old writers who wrote wrote about signs of the times in the 1950s. We have the privilege of knowing Dwight Pentecost personally. Had him stop in our home a number of times. I stopped with him in Dallas. I love his books, but some of his books are out of date. (laughs) Because when he wrote them in the 1950s, He could not even envisage what we're seeing today. Things are moving that fast in our Christian experience and uh, I believe it's a good sign that the Lord's return is drawing ever closer and we need to be prepared. Well, I trust what we've shared with you is not frightening or ominous. It shouldn't be for us as believers. Uh, We know the Lord, all in his control, and just before all this falls upon the world, we'll be gone and forever with the Lord. Thank you, brother.